and welcome back to another episode of Extra Points with Mary Orms. You just heard There Goes My Love by Highway 101. And yeah, stick around. Don't touch that dial. We have a really cool hour lined up talking about chess. Okay, I'm really excited about today's show. If you've been listening carefully to my previous episodes, you may have caught on that I like chess. I've been wanting to talk to chess players on this show for a while now, and today is the day we are doing it. We are talking about chess. Uh, We're going to navigate this topic through two different angles. The first is a conversation with Nick Hill, who's the sports director at KVRX, about the new Netflix miniseries, The Queen's Gambit. Later on, we'll move into a discussion about the all-stars of chess and what tournament play actually feels like. But for now, I want to welcome Nikhil. Thank you for being on my show. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, I'm excited to talk about this show. I've only seen the first episode. I watched it last night. Um, it It was good, but it wasn't good enough to watch seven hours straight. So I just decided to stop at the first one. But um, would you mind giving my listeners a little bit of an overview of it? I know you've seen it. Yeah, I've seen the whole thing. I like I, I really love it. I've been trying to tell everyone who I know to watch it. Um, it's a show that's set in the 60s and it's telling the story of this young orphan who she goes to an orphanage and you know meets this janitor that teaches her how to play chess. And she turns into this very young chess prodigy. And then we follow her through her um, young adult life as she you know, is on her quest to become a grandmaster, to be the best in the world at the game and all while navigating personal issues like you know, addiction, trauma, and just you know, obsessiveness with the game. And you know, I, I just think it's you know, been fantastic. Everyone that I've recommended, even if they don't like chess or they don't know the game, I keep telling them like, you don't have to know chess to be able to watch this show. But it really is a story about this, you know, girl navigating through this world of chess. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because it seems to capture a lot of like the feelings of chess, like the, you know, the tension and just like that level of obsession that some players, like the good players reach, Um, but still being like really relatable to audiences that like, I mean, honestly, you don't have to be even really interested in chess to to really relate to the show. Um, I also, I love the cinematography of it. Like I just, I think the color palette is so neat. It's so 60s, so muted. Um, Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to watch. Yeah, no, I I really liked it. And I think that it depicts like chess really well on the screen. Like the show, it just throws you into this world. And it, you know, like I said, it doesn't give you much guidance. You don't really you know, know the game. I, if you've seen the first episode, which you have, like when uh, she first meets up with the janitor, uh, he does give her like a quick intro, like on how each of the pieces move, like some of the openings. But, you know, I think it's easier. It's like one of those things where if you go to class and uh, you've already read the material ahead of time, then you really understand it. But if you're just learning it for the first time, it might be a little hard to catch up. But you still get that beauty of the game and a lot of it has to do like you said with the cinematography the way that you know the players move the pieces the way that you know the pieces sound when they're hitting the board it's so beautiful um and yeah like i just think that they did a really good job of taking something that's you know so mundane like i mean when you think of a sports movie you're not thinking about chess you're thinking about you know football basketball things that have a lot of drama and action uh chess really doesn't visually but the show does a 
fantastic job of, you know, keeping you intrigued, even if you don't know the game, uh, just basically like on a, on a chess game. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, um, I read a bunch of reviews kind of to prepare for this mm-hmm. show and I found this really interesting like tidbit. So they had two consultants for the show. One was a like this really famous chess coach and then one was um, a previous world champion chess player and they taught the um, the actors how to move the chess pieces like a real chess player and I just I felt like that was such a great like level of attention to detail because like you know I don't really watch competitive chess but if she had just like you know I don't know like there's a very particular way that like professional chess players move the pieces like this article called it machine gun like where they just like you know move really forward and really quickly but if she would have like you know picked up the pieces and gone over like that would have looked so dumb i really i appreciate your attention to detail and chess has this one rule especially in like chess tournaments from what i know is that once you've touched the piece that like you know it's your turn you touch the piece you have to move that piece like you can't um change pieces you can't change your mind So I think that contributes to it a lot. And, you know, if you're sitting there and like, you know, the game is two hours long and you decide I'm going to move this piece, then you better be like as deliberate about it as possible. So they did a really good job of making sure that like, it was clear that the characters thought through their move and actually placed the piece properly. I don't know like, you know, exactly what the best way to move a piece is, to be honest. Like whenever I play chess, it's been, you know, for fun. Like I go to like, you know, bars or like cafes or play with my friends and we're not doing it in a super deliberate fashion. We don't even play with a time limit, but you could tell in the show that like these people really thought about what they're doing and they did a really good job for when, you know, she didn't know or when any of the, um, players didn't know like whether the move that they were making was correct you could see that like look of tension in their face you could see like the hesitation in their moves um and I thought that was you know just a really good you know like you said attention to detail because a lot of the times like you wouldn't think of hiring two consultants just to teach players how to move or teach actors how to move pieces right and like this story is not a true story so I mean I don't think that it would be correct to you know, and it's not claiming to be a true story. So I don't think it would be correct to like roast the show for being off on some details about like chess play. But um, I mean, some things are definitely different from like, you know, how things would really go down. Like for example, you, you know, you mentioned a chess um, match is two hours long and in the, in the series they move, you know, each player will take like a second or two seconds and then make a decision and move a piece and in reality like in a real tournament that would be a lot slower but obviously like you know the the series is not going to block right. out like two hours so I mean I think they still did a really good job of capturing like the emotions and the feelings behind chess um without you know without making it unreasonable to watch and yeah they had to sacrifice like some details of like exactly how a tournament would go down but um I think that it was, you know, for the better. I actually, I found this really interesting detail um, from one of these articles that I read that was talking about the time period that this was in, that the venues that they played their tournaments in were actually really similar, like really dingy and like really run down. And that that was actually like a reference to something that happened in reality, which I thought was so funny. Oh yeah. Like, 
Well, I mean, yeah. where's the funding in chess? You know, you're not having like million dollar sponsors, uh, you know, paying for yeah. ads on the players' t-shirts. Uh, so there's sponsoring no... your chess player. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. There's no Adidas sponsored uh, polos that these guys are wearing. Um, but yeah, like even and the thing is, it's in the U.S., right? Like I think the first tournament that she went to in the show took place in this like really rickety high school. Uh, the volunteers were like, you know, college students or like high school students. And it was still like, you know, a championship tournament. So you, you could tell like, you know, chess wasn't super respected back then. There wasn't a lot of money in it, at least in the U.S. But if you went, if you like keep going into the show, she plays in places like Paris, Mexico City, uh, Moscow. And those places are so nice. Like you could tell that these countries put such a big emphasis on chess. I remember in the Moscow scenes, there was like massive crowds in the streets everywhere listening to the game on the radio. Um, in Paris, they took place in this like beautiful, beautiful hotel. So it just, you know, shows that maybe the U.S. Chess Federation in the 1960s did not have the funding that these other countries might have had. Right. I think like the whole show does a really kind of interesting commentary on like culture. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, like one of the biggest points in that is that our protagonist is a woman and like the whole show is basically about her being like a woman chess player but you know that's pretty close to reality too like there are not not a whole lot of women in chess and especially like then in the 60s -hmm. like it just wasn't really a thing I think it was really important that like this story was told about a woman no I I agree like I mean off the bat like there's so much sexism that takes place like, I, you know, in the first episode that you saw, like, the janitor, when she first asked him, like, hey, do you want to, like, can you teach me how to play? And he's like, no, women don't play chess. And to be that dismissive, to, like, you know, just say, like, no, you know, you are not, just because you're a woman, you're not as smart, you can't pick up the game. And she really has to, sh- has to show him that, like, she knows what she's doing in order for her, for him to accept her. That's, you know, just typical of that time period and even, you know, typical of now where you know women just weren't you know not allowed but they it wasn't accepted for them to play and it added another barrier for her to overcome throughout the movie that not only was she battling the fact that she was so young and that people like wouldn't take her seriously because of that you could see in like you know when she went to tournaments that people would be like hey like you know why are you trying to play here just because like you know because you're a woman you're obviously going to get your you know like the floor is going to be wiped, you know, like you're not going to be able to compete against these men. And when you saw her overcome that, like that was a lot more satisfying. What was it like? What were your thoughts of that? Like, did you think that it was important for her to, for the show to be told through her lens? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was really interesting and like, it's so striking to hear, you know, today to hear the phrase like, women don't play chess or like women don't do this like this does not exist for women like that it's really jarring and I'm sure that like you know there's a reason that's in the first episode and like that really I think hooks people in but also like I think that the series from what I can tell is a real commentary on like the human experience and like this is a reality that a lot of women face at some point in some way you know and for the vast majority of women it's not going to be through chess and like I think that the chess world has kind of um, become more open to yeah. women competitors. And I mean, I don't really know that for a fact, but I'm just going to kind of take this. The times like, we're in, like, I, I assume that they're not 
turning people away just because they're women from tournaments. Right. And I know like, I don't know, like the UT chess club has women in it, yeah. like from, you know, from the super micro level, like you, you can yeah. see it, but I do think it was important, you know, just for, just like for the time that we're living in, that this be somebody who, you know, this is a story about somebody who like overcame a difficulty that she was like born with like yeah. it's, i don't know it's just like it's a part of her makes her chess life more difficult i just feel like that's more interesting than like oh we're gonna watch um you know this teenage guy learn how to play chess and get better yeah. also i felt like you know the circumstance that she's in with like being in this orphanage and like learning to play chess from the you know basement janitor which is just kind of mystical <clears throat> but like her environment where she, you know, goes to sleep at night and doesn't sleep and just like visualizes the board on the ceiling. I felt like that was such an interesting um, perspective on like the obsessiveness of chess, because like there are only so many moves you can make. And like, I mean, there are like tons of moves you can make, but the chess, like the game of chess is so finite like with every move you only <clears throat> you only have so many decisions you can make and the whole game is just about making like the best decision and playing the best game and that's what i think is so interesting about chess is that like you can you know there's something exists as a perfect game and like you you get better with every you know with every time that's what i think is really interesting about playing chess against a computer too because like they know, can play a perfect game yeah it's it's statistics which is just like yeah. crazy yeah, so the like with the obsessiveness of it, I mean, if you think about it, like it's such a beautiful game because it all takes place within these 64 squares. That's it. Um, and if you can control those pieces within this like tiny world, like you are kind of the ruler. And this is what, you know, Beth or the main character in the show alludes to a lot of the time is just because so much of her life outside of chess is, you know, not going well chess is one one aspect that she can control one aspect that is within her reach like she can absolutely demolish her opponent on the board even though she couldn't do it in real life so that you know that contributes to it and then the obsessiveness behind it is comes from also the fact that it is such a finite and limited game that there is a perfect game out there to be played like she replays every single match that she's played to figure out weaknesses, to figure out things that she didn't see in the moment. Um, there's a really cool thing. And I, so I play chess online a lot and I usually play like five, five to 10 minute matches. Um, but there's also this one thing that people play, it's called bullet chess, where you have one minute to like total for the entire game. Like, you know, in the show or in tournaments, you get two hours, you get 40 moves. Bullet chess, one minute, that's it. Like that's how long you have to make all your moves. And it's really hard because all it's essentially all memorization. You have to know all the openings you have to know, like, okay, if this person does this, what's the best course of action. And it's all just like kind of guesstimating. And you could tell, like, even though she was a prodigy at, you know, regular chess, when she first faced bullet chess, like it was a whole new world to her. She couldn't keep up with it, but she kept playing like she kept, you know she was gambling on it she lose she lost money every single time but she must have played like 50 games in one scene just because she was so obsessed on getting better wow yeah i mean chess is cool too because there's so many different like variations you can play and like 
I don't know, like playing, yeah, playing a game super quickly, like just changing the one, um, you know, changing one aspect of it being time would just be like, would totally change the game. I think it's so interesting. No, like the one minute ones are so stressful because you have no time to think about like any move. Like you have absolutely, like you have to be on your third, like you have to think three moves ahead essentially every single time you play. And, you know, when you're playing regular chess, like you can kind of deliberate, you can figure out if I do this, then my opponent's going to do that. If I do this, then my opponent might, you know, capture this piece. So you have a lot of time to overthink with bullet chess or with chess that you have to do on like a rapid scale. Like you just have to go, like there's no thinking about it. And it takes a whole different, like it takes chess to a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. I mean, not to change the subject, but I don't really think that you can, you can watch this series as like a prototypical sports movie. Um, you know, but I think it, I think the element of like trauma and addiction that it folds in is a really interesting twist. Cause it's not, I don't know the way it's depicted. It's not like a hidden secret background. I don't know. I just wondered if you could talk about that and kind of, I don't know, give me your thoughts on why do you think that these details were included? Like, is it just to make her interesting or I think it really informs her chess style, but I want to hear what you think about it. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. Like it's definitely, I think it does such a great job of depicting trauma because, and this goes back to, you know, like sexism, having women in chess, it goes back to like her addiction, goes back to her obsessiveness. All of these things are not what define her. They're not like anything that like is the main aspect of the show. Like it is not like a female empowerment show because it isn't focusing solely on, you know, sexism. It is not just a show about mental health and trauma because it focuses on that. It all contributes to her and it all like blends in to create like a much more, you know, vivid and complex image of like this character. So, you know, it shows like exactly where that trauma comes from. A lot of the time, like what shows will do is they'll show you the, results like it'll show you like you know this is where this person's at right now and then through flashbacks it'll show you like why they are the way they are um but with this like it starts you off from the very beginning it shows you that she's an orphan it shows you like where her addiction issues come from because the orphanage that she went to like they kept giving her tranquilizer pills like that and it showed it earlier in uh early in the series i think even in episode one that like they get from like the age of nine they're giving kids tranquilizers and you know she will justify her usage of the you know drugs just because it helps her with her game but overall like it's it's very deliberate about like this is where it comes from this is how it translates to her in adult life and how she struggles to overcome it um and then like how she finds this one thing chess where she can control this aspect of her life she's but her addiction eventually takes over that as well. Uh, you saw like, I think first episode as well, where she uses those, uh, uses drugs to, you know, help her improve her game to help visualize the board on the ceiling and kind of play through matches. And that's, you know, very typical of addicts where you just, whatever you're doing, you try to justify it. You know, it's not good for you, but, and you're going to end up spiraling, but you're still going to do it because it has some kind of justification um same thing with obsessiveness same thing with you know trauma like it all just ties in together to create this incredibly vivid character and i think that they did a really good job about it they didn't focus the entire show on one aspect of her but kind of 
painted a like and that's what makes the show interesting like a lot of sports movies like it will they'll have it be exclusively about sports it's going to be like a basketball movie where people will try to overcome you know try to win this big tournament and it doesn't go into about their personal lives at all but this weaves both things together in really well right i agree i also think that's one aspect of it that makes how do i say this like that makes it so good that this is a like a show a series about a woman is that it's not mm-hmm. like tokenizing her as like you know i i was a little bit hesitant to watch this because i didn't want it to be like oh look at this woman becoming a yeah. chess player and like she there weren't any women there but like <clears throat> and you look how inspiring she is because she's not i mean you can be inspired by her in any way you want but like you know, she has a lot of issues and she has a lot of really negative character traits. And like, she's not somebody that like, not a role model. No, like she's not somebody that you, you know, you would want to become necessarily. And like, I just think that like the levels of her character, it's really refreshing to see somebody like that, like as a woman, like as a leading role in a story. Yeah. Let me ask you something. What do you what do you think about the whole miniseries versus multi-season show versus movie? Because this Queen's Gambit is a miniseries. I think there's seven episodes total, and uh, I, and you know they're not making any more. Uh, do you prefer that like versus a show or a movie? I'm actually really glad you brought this up. So <laughs> I kind of rank it like this. Like I would have preferred that it was a movie, and I'm really glad that it's not a multi-season show. I'll explain. So if I personally, I prefer to watch movies because it's like, it just forces the the writers and the filmmakers to be really deliberate about what they keep in, unless they want to have a six hour movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the viewer digests the whole movie in one sitting, like traditionally movie theater. Like this is the kind of thing that I like to watch. I really appreciate that it's not a multi-season show because it's, you know, when you limit the show and when you say, you know, we have these seven episodes, you have the freedom to end on a climax or end on a conclusion. And then you don't have to end on a cliffhanger. You know, you don't wow. have to like, keep your audience around because it's over like if this is received well then we'll make more like this is this is it and i appreciate that you know the producers there's of this a finality show, to it yeah like they let it stand on its own instead of being you know we're gonna see how this goes and maybe we'll make more and in case we want to make more we should make sure people are interested in it in the end like this just lets the work stand for itself and say like people will like this or they won't and it's it it's the end but uh yeah no i think i think that it pulls it off too the flip side of all of this is that you could have a series that's just not that good and not that interesting. I think what happens a lot is that people will, yeah, you have essentially three options. You have movie, which you have two hours. You have to make it as tight as possible. Um, And then you have on the other end, multi-season show where exactly like you said, like there's no finality to it. You don't know when it's going to end. And there's like, it, it seems like a lot of the time the showrunners are obsessed with just like trying to keep it going and keep keeping people interested and, really dependent on them coming back for the next episode or the next season um with the miniseries though i I love the format like i think that it's you know i'm a person even though if i don't like a show like every single episode of a show i'll just keep watching it but with a miniseries i have like a definitive end i'm like okay this is done the things that go wrong with that though is when you have 
a, somebody who makes a miniseries when they easily could have done a movie. They take something that could be told in the span of two hours and try to extend it out for you know eight episodes just because you'll make more money. But I think The Queen's Gambit is definitely not an example of that because as you'll see, like every single episode is so delivered. Every single shot that they take, every you know scene that they put you in, it adds something to the character. And I think that like, if you had to squeeze this all into two hours, what would happen is it would feel like a lot of those biopics where it's just like moving from one plot point to another. Oh, this show lets you sit and dwell with every single episode about what exactly is going on in her life. What are the exact consequences to her actions? How is she, you know, using this person to get better at her game? Every single thing like is deliberate, and that's why I really love this as a miniseries. I wouldn't have it as a movie or you know, multi-season show for sure. Yeah, I'm really excited to um, get into it and watch the rest of it probably over the weekend. But uh, I just I don't know. I agree. Like it, the format of the miniseries when it's pulled off correctly can be succinct, but still allow for enough time to like really sit in some details that you probably like practically just wouldn't have the time for. Um, in a movie but from what I've read like this is this has gone really well like you know critically it seems like I mean this show has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes like it seems like it is agreed upon that this is pulled off as a series and like I don't know it's it's a, a show worth watching and I don't know like we've said it's not uh not a carbon copy of the exact like way that tournament chess works but you know, it captures the emotions and it tells a really, like, really interesting story that's worth watching. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, you know, number one on Netflix for a week. They just did a really good job. I think everyone loves it. And even if you don't like chess, like, I really recommend this show. It's you know fantastic. The characters are good. The series is good. And it goes by really quickly. Like, it doesn't feel like they're wasting your time or you have a lot of, you know, drags in the show at all. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, well, I guess we can wrap up here. Thank you so much for coming on my show again. This has just been has been a lot of fun, and I'm really excited um, to watch the rest of it. And I hope that my listeners do too. Yeah, of course. And once again, if you if you out there, you listener, are a chess fanatic or a chess coach or chess anything, please email me. My email address is maryrox m a r y r o x at utexas edu this is not the end of my chess conversation on extra points <laughs> all right hey thanks for having me on yeah absolutely have a good one don't touch that dial we'll be right back with the rest of another interview talking about the all-stars of chess and what it actually feels like to play tournament chess don't touch that dial we'll be right back okay welcome back to extra points with mary orms you are listening to KVRX 91.7, and today we are talking about chess, finally. Um, so I've brought on a special guest to the second half of our show. His name is James Moan. Uh, he played elementary and middle school chess, and this makes him an expert. James, thank you for being on my show. Pleased to be here. I was hoping that you could elaborate for my listeners on what exactly the Queen's Gambit is in chess. Yeah, so um, of course I'm a little removed from my chess playing days, so I'm not the biggest expert, but... You're not still um, in middle school? <laughs> no, I'm not still in middle school, <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll give you what I know. Um, yeah, in chess there's 
a bunch of standard openings that people use um, because there's only when you think about it there's only really so many ways to start the game effectively and people because those are the first moves you can analyze them much more closely dedicated chess players spend a great deal of time learning these openings and choosing favorite ones that they think they play well and the queen's gambit is one of those um one of the famous ones um because it's kind of aggressive it starts with uh moving the pawn in front of your queen two forward and then your opponent responds by moving theirs two forward and then you you move the pawn to the left of that two forward. And so you're basically offering your opponent a free piece. Um, that's why it's called a gambit because usually in chess, you try to have like equal material, but here you're giving off a piece right off the bat just so that you can get a better position. And you're betting that the position you gain from your opponent accepting that will make up for the loss in material. So it's kind of a, kind of an exciting opening. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you can actually have like we were talking about this earlier, how you can have a famous game of chess or you can have a perfect game of chess or like some games are better than other games, just like, you know, other sports. But I was hoping that you could also talk about, you know, I know we've talked about chess before and talked about people recording their games and writing them down and like sending them back and forth. Yeah, this is one of my, one of my favorite parts about chess is that since it really first took off, I mean, as far as I know, it really took off in the early 1800s in Europe. Everyone... T- all these people who went to tournaments were taking fastidious notes the whole time about every move that they made. And the idea being that you can analyze your, um, your games after a tournament. But one of the cool things about these, this notation practice is that we have a really good historical record of some of the best and most interesting games that ever took place going back all the way to the early 1800s. And if you think about it, that, that can, that's kind of unique because in other sports, we rely on things like video technology um, to piece together famous games from a long time ago. And so that only gets us to like the early 1900s for sports like football, for example. You know, in chess, with these written accounts, you can play a game from, say, 1840. You can watch it play out right in front of you by just following what they wrote down. And you can try to imagine what they were thinking when the key mistakes were. And you can really just, you can have this connection to something that happened as as much as 150 years ago. It's a very neat thing about chess that I think is a little bit unique, especially from other sports and competitive games. Yeah, I mean, I think another thing that makes chess so like just different, especially as like a quote unquote sport, is just the level of like emotional tension that I feel like would exist in a tournament. Like sitting across from somebody and like knowing that they're looking at the exact same board that you're looking at, like you all are operating with the same information, but you know, it just comes down to like, who's going to make the better decision. What are those tournaments actually like? Like, I don't know. I just feel like that would be so stressful, so intense. And that's what we were talking about with the Netflix show too, is just like how the critics seem to think that that captured that level of emotion really well. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of tension in each game, especially when you're new to it. You know, in chess, there it's a tournament style thing and tournaments are organized in different ways, but the U.S. Chess Federation gives you a rating. And so that rating kind of tells you how good you are relative to your opponents. And so when you draw an opponent with a higher rating than yourself, there's a lot of wondering if you're good enough to be playing in that game and a lot of trying to figure it out. And a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about their rating, trying to get their rating up, trying to prove that they can swing it with the best players. But it's just a lot of fun because it's all of that study comes down to the game with a you know another person who's equally good or better than you. And I'm, I'm sure the professionals, you know, they, they're really good at fighting the emotions, but at the top levels, even you do see players getting emotional 
um, and making mistakes because of it and making interesting decisions. So for such a rational game and a game that's based in logic and reasoning, there is a lot of emotion and intuition that goes into it and it makes it a really interesting experience. Yeah. Okay, I think we're going to take a break right here and I'm going to play this song. I've spent a lifetime making up my mind to be more than the measure of what I thought others could see. Good luck and fast bucks are too far and too few between. Cadillac buyers and old five and diamonds like me. She stood beside me, let him know she would be something to lean on when everything ran out on me. Fence yards ain't whole cause And like as not never will be Reasons for rhymes And old five and diamonds like me so long now that I know I believe all that I do or say is all I ever will be too much ain't enough for old five and diamonds like me too far Five and diamond is all I intended to be. Okay, we are back with Extra Points with Mary Orms on KBRX 91.7 with James Moan, chess resident expert. I wanted to ask you, do you think chess is a sport? Do you consider chess a sport? I think you could, but I also think maybe not. Obviously, there are no balls in chess. Do you think it's a sport? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think people have a little a little bit of a gut reaction when they hear chess described as a sport because we always picture sports as involving a lot of physical activity and physical coordination. But I think there's a serious argument to be made that chess is a sport. And if it's not, it's very similar to a lot of sports. There's some really cool parallels between the two. For one thing, you have to spend just as much time mastering chess as an athlete does mastering their respective skill. What's the chess practice like? Yeah, so um, yeah, chess involves a lot of practice and a lot of preparation. 
you, you spend a lot of time, first of all, studying the openings. That's kind of like the, the basic vocabulary of the game, right? It's, I, it's kind of akin to how when you're learning to play basketball, you got to learn how to dribble and pass and you got to learn different plays for your team, right? Um, you learn those basic skill set and then, but that's not enough. You need to practice. So you, you play with opponents. Um, and now with online chess, a lot of people practice online against computers and people who aren't physically present. Right. And Isn't it saying that that exists like that, like you can actually play chess against the computer. I don't know. Maybe I sound like such an old person, but like just the idea that like the computer knows how to play a perfect game of chess, just like, I don't know, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And that's not a new thing, right? Um, I don't know if you've read about the Kasparov Deep Blue game that happened in the 90s. I have not. But Gary Kasparov, famous chess champion, uh, he's still in the news sometimes as a dissident in Russia. And this was really the first game where a, com where a computer took on a chess master and held its own, right? There were actually, I think there were, I may be wrong here, but I think there were two matches between them. Uh, and then the first one, it was close, but Kasparov won. But in the second one, Deep Blue managed to beat him. Uh, and, and, you know, this, is, this was a, a show thing put on by IBM. It's a lot like, I don't know if you saw, you saw Jeopardy with Watson. Yeah, so you know how they had the computer sitting there. And yeah, so it was a lot like that. So they had they had Kasparov sitting there at a table across from a, one of those big box refrigerator looking things <laughs> passed for a computer in the 90s, right? Um, and they would, he would make a move and they would enter the move into the computer and then the move would spit out its little answer. And it shocked the world. I mean, Kasparov won a few, won some of the games, but Deep Blue won the majority. And so Deep Blue swept Kasparov there. Um, and it was really troubling to a lot of people. A lot of people thought, is this the death of chess, right? Because if, if chess is a solved game where a computer can, can just beat you every time by brute force considering all of the options and working out the best path, What's the, what's the point of playing anymore? And I, it troubled a lot of people, but, and nowadays, I mean, people at the time of when Deep Blue beat Kasparov, there were still a number of masters who could beat a Deep Blue level computer, but now it's basically the best supercomputers are unbeatable, right? And they do this just by considering options that humans can't. Yeah. But a lot of people have responded to it by pointing to the more human aspects of the game, right? It's what we were talking about earlier with the psychological tension and the intuition and there is an intuitive aspect to chess that's almost artistic, right? It's like what I was getting at earlier is that there's this basic vocabulary to the game, like the openings and stuff, and you have to be able to play an end game well. And that's a little bit formulaic, but once you do that, the artistry comes into how you get creative with that material and how you put your own spin on it and get out of the box in a way that fools your opponent and that makes them make mistakes, right? And see things that they don't. There's a lot of artistry to that. And Players like Magnus Carlsen today, um, he was, I don't know if he's still currently the chess champion of the world, but he was, um, have really championed speed chess as an alternative, right? Because that's a, that's a genre that requires a lot of intuition. You can't just sit there and ponder every, every possibility and then make a very carefully reasoned move. You have to 
in a you know five minute three minute one minute game you have to have years of experience plus that rational reasoning plus just that raw intuition to pull off a great game and carlson can beat a number of computers in these fast games right it's one thing that computers have not yet mastered though i mean who knows computing um, computing power only gets better right but it is like a, a way to rehumanize the game right and so i don't think chess is going anywhere and i think that um, as cool it is as it is that computers are gotten this good, there's still it's still very much a human enterprise, right? Yeah, I know. Like it can only be so threatening. I just wonder, like, with a game that like can move toward perfection, can you call that a sport? I mean, I guess you could have like a perfect basketball game. I just don't. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, I because you could pick a perfect football, game in baseball. You could, yeah. you know, you could have a great like at bat record for a game of baseball. But you and I were talking about this the other day with um I mean it is a thing in other sports that they just get better and better, right? Like in baseball, a baseball team from the MLB today would probably crush a team from the 30s, right? Right. Just because of the, you know, they've started doing things like weight training. Um, they've, you know, turned pitching and stuff into a science, right? And so the games are just increasingly perfected. It's the same thing in football. I don't know enough about basketball to say, but like in football, you know, a team nowadays would demolish a team from the 60s. I mean, that may be a hot take, but. Um, <laughs> Someone else who's like really into 60s football is going to email me and be really mad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm probably, I'm a little out of my wheelhouse, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, all sports are, you know, everyone tries to get, more perfect, right? And they only get more perfect over time because everyone has the benefit of, of hindsight, right? Right. And I, you know, it is an interesting thing, like is chess a sport? And I, I really think it is. I mean, you can, I think the only argument against it is the physical argument that it doesn't have, um, but it requires, you know, mental dexterity as much, mental agility as much as uh, a physical sport requires physical agility, right? And it requires the same level of practice and discipline, um, lifelong learning, right? Coaching. Everyone, you know, everyone gets a, a chess coach. Yeah, right? I remember and the first time I heard, like the concept of a chess coach, and I just like, for some, I always just thought that people just played chess until they got better. But no, like th this is a whole world, you know. No, it's very, yeah, it's very intense. Um, I, I love to draw a parallel with boxing. Right. There's something something about chess to me that's so reminiscent of boxing. Um, and it's really it really captures a sort of type of sport that is not as popular in you know in the contemporary world we live in, right? With it's so focused on the individual, right? You have these two individual champions, these super athletes going up against each other and just duking it out, right? It, it, you know, you people talk about chess history in terms of the big games, right? Like Bobby Fischer and Boris Spassky, right? Um, Anatoly Karpov and Gary Kasparov, like Gary Kasparov and Deep Blue. Like there's these, it's, it's so similar. I mean, it's one step away from Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, right? Like the big boxing games. And I, I don't know a ton about boxing history, but I've watched the, I've watched some of the famous matches that took place between heavyweights, right? And the atmosphere is weirdly similar. You know, I may, I, maybe I'll catch flack for this too, but 
you know, you have your guy and there's everyone's invested in their guy and watching him duke it out with the other guy. Um, and even though there's a weird set of rules in both things that everyone has to follow, um, at the end of the day, it's kind of just a raw test of ability, right? Yeah, I mean, you because know? at some point, like no level of like training or like, you know, better equipment or whatever is going to make one boxer like just since, I mean, maybe I don't know either enough about um, boxing training or really about like chess practice, but it does seem like a, a test of like raw and not intelligence, but like raw strategy, raw um, like physical force. It's a, it's an interesting. Right. I mean, it's something you don't see in, in team sports as much, right? Team sports have a very different mindset, which I think is equally exciting and interesting. Yeah. But much more concerned about everyone needs to have a lot of raw ability, right? But it's how they, it's how they do that in a collective that matters. Yeah. We, um, in my interview with Jacob Hale about baseball, we actually had an interesting moment of conversation where he compared, you know, that super head to head face off between, um, you know, the pitcher and the batter as like a little chess game or chess match inside of a larger team sport, which I, he was he was talking about yeah. that in order to make the case for like baseball being an exciting game to watch. You just need to watch really closely or you really need to know what you're looking for. But I thought that that was a really interesting like distinction because these moments of like insane tension exist, I don't know, within larger games like baseball, I think. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's not quite as pure, right? Sure. Like when, when the batter hits the ball or pitcher's got to rely on his outfielder to go make a play, right? And in chess, there's, you're not relying on anyone except yourself. Same with boxing right um i there's really nothing I, I really can't think of another sport like it except for stuff that happens in the olympics right um that individualistic athleticism it's a very old thing to me you know it reminds me of like the ancient greeks right that sort of athleticism and that sort of ideal of like the hero champion athlete and it's something that is just a little less common in, in sports today um, we have we focus a lot more on teamwork Maybe that says something interesting about the way we think nowadays. I don't know, but I, I do think there's something really romantic about the individual contest, um, and it, it kind of kind of unique. And you look at—I mean, the boxing metaphor really goes deep. Like you look at these chess games in history. There's like the immortal game from the 1800s. You and I were talking about this a while back. Um, you can you refresh me on this one? Yeah, it was, I don't I don't even remember the players' names. I think one of them is Anderson. But it was this game that didn't even happen. In an official format it was like a, a break period and it's it's known for this one guy launched a serious attack on the other and he gave up a bunch of pieces and it looked like he was just doing you know he was just making huge blunders the whole time and then all of a sudden he's checkmated the other guy right and it's it's called the immortal game because of how it has this quality of beauty to it that people see even 200 years removed from the fact right um, and that, that sort of these games that go down in history and are immortalized, it's very similar to boxing matches, you know, and the, the thrill of victory and the, you know, the, the agony of defeat, right? You see it in, in boxing history. And, you know, and just like in boxing, people have spent all sorts of energy just trying to organize these heavyweight matches to figure out who really is the best. Yeah. Right? And what's, what's even cooler about chess is that it's, 
don't know. It's so accessible, right? It's more accessible than almost any other sport. Because you can, running. once you, once you learn the rule book, you can play. Well, I guess running. Yeah. But I mean, like boxing takes years to even, you know, I mean, I guess anyone can walk into a ring and <laughs> just try to punch someone. Each other. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a very specific skill set that's hard to even break into, but like chess, anyone can sit down and play with anyone else. Um, and, and yet, you know, the level of mastery it takes to be a world champion is just so unbelievable. Um, well, yeah. I think it's very interesting. I, there aren't many things like this. Um, sorry to go on a little bit, but I was thinking about this. I, I think esports are actually the an interesting parallel nowadays. I, I was talking. I, I was talking with one of my friends about doing this interview, and he was telling me about this video game that he plays, and I don't remember what it was called, but it like he said it like it is chess. It's just it's just looks it doesn't look anything like chess. Like it, um, it's like a a shooter game I don't know but um like it's the same kind of thing where like certain the only thing is that you are only one piece you know if you want to think about it in like a chess way and then your team is different and you will move in your own different ways or whatever but like like the Harry Potter chess game oh god (laughs) (laughs) roast me if he hears that (laughs) it's like the Harry Potter chess game (laughs) no that's that's really interesting unfortunately I just don't know enough about like video games and esports to really say much but i do know that um esports are rising in popularity and there are people who actively seek out you know like they want to watch people participate in these video game tournaments and i don't i don't know if i know that there are esports that involve teams um i don't know how individualistic it is but i bet there are some video games out there that are just individuals facing off with one another and i think that probably will capture the same atmosphere that you get in boxing or um certain Olympic sports or chess, right? And I don't know, I guess once you accept that chess is a sport, there's a serious case to be made that these esports are also sports. Uh, it yeah. opens the door to a lot of things. Ooh. Well, unfortunately, somehow we're already out of time, but this has been honestly just so fun. And I'm so glad that you got to be on my radio show. So thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, goodbye. All right, bye. I never found a four-leaf clover and tend to spill the salt. Anytime a mirror breaks, you can bet it was my fault. Black cats always try and cross the path in front of me. I guess it's how not always what you see. No horseshoe or my doorway, I throw a hat right on.
ever cross my fingers when a hopeful phrase is said not much of a gambler so prone to having bites when you take my hand they best hand me the dice just lucky I guess show this week. Thank you so much for listening to Extra Points with Mary Orms. Those two songs that you heard in the past half hour were Old Five and Dimers Like Me by one of my personal favorites, Billy Joe Shaver. And then most recently, that was Lucky I Guess by Jason Boland and the Stragglers. Thank you so much for listening to Extra Points again. And if you haven't already, please check us out on Twitter. We're at SportsOnKVRX. And then our sports department is also on Spotify if you feel like listening to this one more time. Okay, have a great Saturday. Don't touch that dial.